0: Hi, welcome to Game Changers, a special edition here on Trek Tuesday with Leonard Nimoy. In Game Changers, I kind of go back and do a biography of the person intercut with interviews I've done with that person. And this was one of my favorite conversations ever. A really renaissance man of Star Trek in Leonard Nimoy. We'll have him in just a moment.
1: When it was a very difficult period because we were rehearsing in a theater that was being built. I said, I think it's it's a chance to really reveal what the interior, what Spock's interior life is all about. From a lady who said, thank you for your portrayal of Spock all these years as a misfit growing up. I didn't look to Spock for answers. I like Zachary's work. I think he's a very good actor and very intelligent actor. I think he came out very well. I think those shows in the, in the 60s actually changed the nature of science fiction for, yeah. for television audiences.
0: Leonard Nimoy is a subject of a very personal episode for me of Game Changers. His character of Mr. Spock changed science fiction on television and maybe other mediums as well. For the first time, that medium got to see humanity through the eyes of an alien, who himself was half-human. Leonard's story is an immigrant story, as his parents fled the oppression of Ukraine and settled in Massachusetts. And in March of 1931, their son, Leonard Nimoy, was born. He never forgot his Jewish heritage, and like many immigrant children from many beliefs, he incorporated it into his American character. After many odd jobs as a child that helped support his father's barbershop business, young Leonard received encouragement from his grandfather to be an actor. At 17, he had his first acting role in Clifford Odette's Awake and Sing. The young actor took a chance and moved to California, and with money he saved from selling vacuum cleaners, he enrolled in the famous Pasadena Playhouse. What many don't know about Leonard Nimoy, that he was a veteran, serving in the U.S. Army Reserve in 1953 at, at Fort McPherson, Georgia. Now in his early 20s, Nimoy taught acting classes and was involved in a fledgling theater company.
2: Kind of take us back to those days in uh, and, and the company, and what was it like for you in that time?
1: I was, uh, I was teaching acting classes in a studio on... Uh, uh, um, I think it was on El Centro, right in the middle of Hollywood, just off of off of Melrose, near Melrose and Vine Street. Some of the students were interested in starting an acting company, a, a theater company. And one day they came to me and they said, we think we have found uh, a building that might be right for us. Would you come and take a look at it with us? It was only about two blocks away, so we walked over to this building uh, on, I think it was at the corner of Waring and Vine Street. It looked like it could work, and I laid out the design for the, the way the uh, the way the seating on the stage should be laid out in the building. And we began working on creating a theater. Oh, that's and, wonderful! And um, we went into rehearsal for a very long period. On, a, on I was looking for a play for them that I would direct. I was looking for a play that would that would put to work as many of their actors as possible, so we could have a lot of roles for a lot of people. There was a play by Tennessee Williams that we chose called Camino Real*. Very large canvas play, a lot of people, a lot of scenes. Uh, and I was intrigued with it, and I thought it might be fun to do. We did the casting, and um, went in a very difficult period because we were rehearsing in a theater that was being built. Yeah. So physically, it was very difficult, and after a long period of Building problems, we're getting building permits and electrical permits and plumbing permits and one thing and another, and working on on um, minimal dollars and rehearsing at the same time. <laughs> it's it got to, it to be very complicated. At least while I was around, and this was after months of work on this project, we never did get the play open, but we had, we had put a bunch of actors through their paces pretty good. <laughs> so, and eventually they got the theater open, and they've managed to, to to remain a company all this time. And I give them a lot of credit for it.
2: Yeah, it's great, and and so many people, not only yourself and and Robert, but uh, Richard Chamberlain and Vic Morrow have all literally flexed their acting muscles there. And, yes, exactly. Yeah, and and the stage is so important. I I firmly believe that for actors. Yeah,
1: I think. Um, if I remember, Vic Morrow directed a wonderful production of La Ronde. Oh, nice. For them. It was a beautiful production, yeah.
0: After appearing in many B-movies, he got a break in Kid Monk Baroni, which he hoped would gain him more attention. But the film failed to generate any buzz. Roles followed in movies like Zombies of the Stratosphere, Them, a personal favorite of mine, I might add, and also The Balcony with Peter Falk and the aforementioned Vic Morrow. TV then came calling as he appeared in Sea Hunt, Wagon Train, with a bit of irony, as Gene Roddenberry sold Star Trek to the network as Wagon Train to the stars. As with many Star Trek actors, he appeared on Bonanza, and even worked with DeForest Kelly in an episode, Man of Violence. Ironically, he also appeared with William Shatner in the Man from Uncle episode, The Project Strigus Affair. But in 1964 came the role he is most identified with, filming the pilot of The Cage as science officer Spock. The network balked on his pointed ears, looking too devilish, and the pilot itself. What was unprecedented, they ordered a second pilot, which became where no man has gone before. Gene Roddenberry insisted to the network that Nimoy return as the pointed ear Mr. Spock. They wanted him out. Not the actor, the character. The series was picked up on NBC. And in early episodes, we saw Spock occasionally a little bit more emotional, kind of grimacing and smiling at times. But then as the actor and the writers helped shape the character, crafting it into the one we love so much. If there was one episode that was Spock's coming out party, was The Naked Time.
2: I really felt that in a way you're, Directing Star Trek started probably in Naked Time when you literally staged the scene where Spock is crying and the camera does this incredible yeah. dolly around you. That was just amazing. Yeah. How that worked. Well, uh,
1: we were in a very fertile period, and and the directors were open to ideas, and, and and Bill Shatner and myself and and D. Kelly often came up with character touches and character ideas and scene ideas that were that were helpful. But the, you're, you're pointing to a, a very special one for me because. Yeah. Um, it was a scene that was not in the original script, and uh, and I asked for that scene to be written. I described it. I said I think it's it's a chance to really reveal what the interior, what Spock's interior life is all about. So they wrote it for me. Uh, we staged it very quickly. It was late one day, um, almost wrap time, and they told me we just have one crack at this, and then we have to wrap. So we we did it quickly, but it, it turned out to be quite effective. And and shortly after that episode went on the air, the fan mail for Spock just went through the roof. Yeah, I think it really it really touched a chord in the audiences' feelings about the Spock
0: character. Recently, the original series was given new digital special effects, and we talked about that.
2: Now, for the original series, have you had a chance to see them? Like. The, the special effects that they redid for the I original? have
0: seen a little bit of
1: it I can't say that I've actually sat and studied it but I've seen a little bit of it and it, it looks very good to me I, I think they've done a very good job of, of, of enriching the look of the show
2: oh absolutely of, of,
1: fortunately they're not changing the stories I think the stories were what, what made the whole thing work and, and we, we still have
2: very very limited production values but the show looks pretty good I think it holds up extremely well yeah. and uh, I think you said it the stories yeah. uh, it's just amazing yeah. uh, you know what they what they we have
1: some very very, very talented writers who were passionate about what they were doing, and 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 the result is is, is good storytelling. Yeah,
2: and a man like uh, you know, like an unsung hero like Gene Kuhn also. Yeah, exactly. oh man, exactly. boy, yeah. The things that he did. Uh, yeah, he, he
1: was he was really very very instrumental in, in making the series come to
2: life. Yeah, and then also yourself as an actor bringing all these things to Spock. You know that probably were weren't even on the page. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, well, I figure that's the job. I'm, I'm Just to show up and, and say the lines is not enough for me. I think the, I think the job is to bring whatever creative energy you can to, to the process.
0: He never forgot his Jewish heritage and used it to create the famous Spock v. Salute. In the synagogue, the Kohanim would ask the congregation not to look as they bless the faithful with, May the Lord bless and keep you, and may the Lord cause his countenance to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and grant you peace. Young Leonard peaked, and the Vulcan salute had its roots. He also came up with the Vulcan neck pinch. He suggested it to a director on the episode The Enemy Within, and Bill Shatner, with his reaction, sold it very well, as he was the first one to get the pinch. Leonard Nimoy developed his skills as a poet, photographer, and playwright. His play, Vincent, about Van Gogh's brother Theo, Played on stage. He even sang on two different albums recorded during Star Trek's TV run.
2: I always considered you like the Renaissance man of Star Trek because of all the things that you do. The the wonderful photography that that you've done, uh, I mean, fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you. And actually, I have to confess, you actually came to my college. Uh, back in 1976 where was that at William Patterson College in Wayne, New Jersey.
1: <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad I did that. <laughs> yeah. And,
2: <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> well, the the treat was uh you were you know you were promoting your books when I think of you, I remember that your poetry. Right. And you know, we all got a treat of lis- listening to your poetry there uh-huh. on stage. And, yeah. Yeah. And then actually I had a, more of a treat for the college radio station. I went backstage and interviewed you with a bunch of other reporters, uh-huh. and that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Great. So that great. was a great yeah. kick. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 of course, the directing. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, there is something about being the second-in-command uh, for, for Star Trek. I don't know what it is about di- going into the director's chair. Uh, you've done it, and Jonathan Frakes have done it. But right.
0: I, along with many reporters interviewed Mr. Nimoy back at my college in 1976 for my college radio station. I asked him if he would ever direct, and a few years, I asked him if he would ever direct, and two years later, he starred in Star Trek The Motion Picture, and then in 1984, he directed both Star Trek III, and in 1984, he did just that, directing Star Trek The Search for Spock, and then Star Trek he, directing Star Trek III: The Search for Spock, and then following that up with Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home, one of the most Star Trek, one of the most successful Star Trek films ever. Friend and co-star James Doohan, who was Scotty, of course, on the series and movies, talked about Leonard's directing those movies to me and Ernest Lilly in
2: 1996.
1: The Best director we ever had, Leonard. Yeah, he talked a lot the first time he directed, which was number three. And number four, it's as if he said to himself, I talk too damn much. So he just would give us one sentence, tell us exactly how it should be played. You know,
2: he's just terrific, that guy. Love him, you know.
0: There's more with Leonard Nimoy on Game Changers, so stay tuned.
2: Hello, I am C-3PO, Human-Cyborg Relations.
1: This is Leonard Nimoy. Hi, I'm Angel Colby. Um, I play Gwenevere in Merlin.
0: Hi, this is Billy Boyd. I play Pippin in Lord of the Rings. And you're listening to Sci-Fi Talk. Live long and prosper. After Star Trek, Leonard Nimoy worked in animation and hosted the popular series In Search Of, and it's actually going to be coming back. He also hosted Lights, Camera, Action on Nickelodeon. But Spock was not totally out of his life, even though he had wrote I Am Not Spock, and then eventually I Am Spock, two successful books about the character and his visions of him. He voiced Mr. Spock in a company he co-founded with John Delancey in a production of Spock vs. Q. And in 2009, he returned to that role on the big screen as Spock Prime in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek reboot.
2: It was great to see you in this new Star Trek film. I oh, mean, thank you. Uh, and I'll tell you, um, <laughs> I remember sitting next to my girlfriend and, and watching you as Spock and saying, I, I want to see more of him. I said, do you know how much this guy has suffered, this character has suffered? <laughs> 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 and he looks yeah. relaxed now, you know? Yeah. yeah. Went through life, death, and resurrection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had a good time doing it. I think it's a very good movie. It is a very good movie. Yeah. And Spock was used well, too. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. For the, for the fanboy and all of us, the scene between you and Zachary was amazing.
1: That's, it's an interesting scene, isn't
2: it? Yeah, very interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. I like Zachary's work. I think
2: he's a very good actor and very intelligent actor. I think he came on very well. Well, one thing J.J. did very well in this movie was casting. He yeah. really did an excellent job in I casting. Agree. You know, yeah, I agree. I mean, the effects and all that, that'll take care of itself. But uh, yeah. but if you don't have the, I mean, the shoes that they're filling, you know, for right. your originals, it's just... Well, he, <laughs>
1: has a, he has a talent that that is... Um, somewhat unique that a lot of directors can do the very big special effects movies, and there are some directors who can do the very personal uh, character moments, but he can do both, and, and, and that's, uh, that's not, uh, not typical. I think that, that's, that's really the measure of his talent, that he can do the very big picture, but he can touch you in the middle of all of that with, with very, uh, very uh, intimate moments.
0: After that, he appeared as Spock Prime in Star Trek Into the Darkness, and his character was mourned on Star Trek Beyond after his passing. His relationship with J.J. Abrams led him to appear as William Bell on Fringe.
2: Now, was it during Star Trek that he recruited you to play William Bell in Fringe?
1: <laughs> no, it was after. Oh, really? Long after, yeah. Uh, the, the call about William Bell came to me about two months ago. It was long after the, the Star Trek movie had opened, so it was a whole other, a whole other issue. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I've done two episodes so far. Uh, the first one. Uh, was really just a, a, an announcement of my of my presence. I just came on 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 scene and essentially simply said, "I'm William Bell." In the next episode that I'm in, which I think is, uh, is airing on October eighth, there will be a a much more uh, a much uh, much more revelatory presence of what William Bell is all about. And I think it's going to be an interesting episode.
0: This interview was done in two thousand nine, and he was far from retirement as we talked about, a photography exhibition he had coming up.
1: I am doing some photography work. I have a, a new uh, exhibition that will be opening at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art next year, my first solo exhibition in a major museum. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm working on that. It's, uh, it's a series of portraits and a 40-minute video of my conversations with the, with the 25 people whose portraits are being shown. The show will be called Secret Selves, and it has to do with secret or hidden or uh, or fantasy lives people coming to be photographed as their secret self A very interesting project, and and I'm I'm very excited about looking forward to the public response. I think it's going to be very
2: interesting. What's interesting too is you know you're from Massachusetts, and you're kind of going home a little bit too. That's right. That's right, exactly. So I think Thomas Wolfe was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I keep trying. (laughs) I go to
1: Boston occasionally. I really enjoy the city. I think it's a great city, and I, I try to get back there once in a while.
0: The impact of Mr. Spock, I feel will span generations
1: at a convention in atlanta a couple of weeks ago and i got a very touching note from a lady who said thank you for your portrayal of spock all these years as a misfit growing up i didn't look to Spock for answers but it helped me to see him struggling with the same questions although that was pretty profound
2: we always had a, a, a high respect for you, but I think it even went up a notch. You know, well, thank that. you, thank you very much, thank you. I mean, uh, what you did for Star Trek and science fiction on television—I don't think we'd be watching Fringe or all these things. <laughs> you know, I mean, very
1: flattering. Thank you. I have thank to
2: cover all this stuff, and you. there's so much out there. It's yeah. uh, and it's like it started with. Probably Star Trek, The Twilight Zone. and
1: Well, I, I think that's true. I think those shows in the, in the 60s actually changed the nature of science fiction for, for yeah. television audiences. I think you're
0: right. I wouldn't be doing this podcast without the impact of The Twilight Zone, which Leonard appeared, by the way, in an episode of Quality of Mercy with Dean Stockwell, and, of course, Star Trek. To me, Mr. Spock is a character that affects me very deeply and is a voice of reason to me in this chaotic world. If I do anything else in my podcasting career, interviewing this man, who is truly a game changer, will be a favorite highlight. I made him laugh, and I can't express what that means to me. Words just don't cut it. I miss you, Leonard Nimoy, and will love the man you were and the character you helped create. Thanks for listening to a very personal Game Changers episode. I'm Tony Tolato.